paint from the last part of John chapter 13 and the first part of John chapter 14. Begin reading at John 13, verse 31, and read through John 14, verse 21. This is the Word of God. Therefore, when he was gone out, that's Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, 
that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. We read the word of God that far. The text for our sermon is verses 2 and 3 of chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the difficult things that we may have to do in the Christian life is say goodbye to someone that we love. We may have a loved one that's moved a long distance away. We know that we're not going to see them as often as we have in the past. Or we may stand by the deathbed of a loved one, a beloved parent, beloved spouse, or some other loved one, and say goodbye to them, depart, know that we're not going to see one another again on this side of the grave. That parting is painful, it's difficult. And here in John 14, Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples. He's preparing them for the time when he'll leave them. Jesus at this point is still in the upper room with the disciples. He's just sent away Judas Iscariot. And to the remaining 11 disciples, he tells them that he's soon leaving them. For example... In John 13, verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, Jesus soon will go to the cross where he'll die. He'll be raised again from the dead and then ascend up into heaven and remain there. And the thought of Jesus leaving them was painful for the disciples. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. And he says that because the hearts of the disciples were troubled. They were filled with concerns, worries, fears. They were unsettled at the thought of being apart from Jesus and without him. 
Jesus, in the words of our text, comforts his disciples. He explains to them that, yes, he's leaving them, but he's going to prepare a place for them. And he's going to come again. He's going to receive them to himself so that where he is, they will be also. This is not a parting forever, but only temporary while Jesus prepares a place for them in Father's house. And then when he comes again, they'll be together forever. What was a word of comfort to the disciples was a word of comfort for the church down through the ages. Throughout the history of the New Testament church, God's people have found such comfort and hope in these words of Jesus Christ. Historians and scholars will tell us that even in the early New Testament church, in the first few hundred years of the New Testament, God's people often in the letters that they would write to one another would quote these words, especially if A fellow saint was struggling or grieving or in need of encouragement. They'd remind one another of the words of Jesus Christ here. How often don't we turn to these words? How often don't these words come to mind when we are struggling or when we stand before the reality of death? Whether our own death or the death of a loved one. There's comfort for us in the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ that He's gone away to prepare a place for us. And He will certainly come again to take us to be with Him forever. Let's consider this Word of God tonight under the theme, I go to prepare a place for you. The words of Jesus here in our text. First of all, let's consider the place, secondly, the preparation, and then thirdly, the promise. The place, the preparation, and the promise. Jesus speaks here of preparing a place for his disciples, and it's obvious that what he's referring to is heaven. The idea of heaven is very precious to us something that we wonder about. And as we age, and more and more we face the reality of our own impending death, we think more and more about heaven. Because we know that's our home, and that's where we'll live forever and ever. And yet, though we have uh, interest in heaven... The Bible doesn't tell us very much about heaven. At least it does not satisfy all of the curiosities and the questions that we have. Often in describing heaven, the Bible speaks in negative terms. It's not this, and it's not that, and it's not like that which we experience on the earth. The wonders of heaven are so great that the best we can speak of it at times is to say it's Not like this earth. The Bible does that. It does not reveal every detail. 
in order to keep us hoping and longing for heaven and thinking about what heaven will be like. But although the Bible doesn't tell us all, we do know a good deal about what heaven will be like. And here in our text, Jesus describes heaven with two phrases. In the first place, he refers to it as Father's house. Verse 2, in my Father's house. When you think about a house, what do you think about? We might think about the the layout and the square footage. We might think about the number of the bedrooms and the number of the bathrooms. We might think about the design, the decorations, the furniture that fill it up. We might think about the realtor's dictum, location, location, location. But the important thing about a house, in the end, is none of those things. The important thing about a house is the life that's lived within that house. The relationships that are established and enjoyed. The family life that characterizes that house. And it's the warmth of love and the fellowship of home and family that makes a house a home. A person might have a A grand, large mansion. But the home life within that is terrible. And one might have a small, run-down house. It's not much to look at. And yet there's a warm family life that's enjoyed there. There's love. There's security. And that house is a home. we think of a house, we ought to think of the family life that's lived and enjoyed there. That if all is well, is characterized by love. All of the members of the home, husband and wife and parents and children and siblings one with another are glued to each other in love. And they live together in close fellowship And friendship, they share one life together in the home. They're grounded together in the truth of the Word of God and they're living out of that together. They share the same struggles and the same joys. Our houses and the homes are not perfect. That's because we who live there are sinners. But this is what a house and a home ought to be. And by the grace of God, this does characterize the Christian home and the Christian family. It's a warm circle of fellowship and love. When Jesus says that he goes to prepare a place in Father's house, he describes heaven in terms of the Warmth of love and security of peace that's enjoyed in the covenant fellowship of our Father in glory. This is the great glory of heaven. There's so much that we can say about heaven and that's wonderful about it that we look forward to. 
But at the heart and the center of it is this, and it must be this for us, that it's there that we'll live in the perfection, covenant communion with God. The glory of heaven is that there we live with Father. As His children, we dwell together with our Father in the absolute confidence of His love. Basking always in the light of His favor as that shines upon us forever and ever. The glory of heaven is that there is elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says at the end of verse 3, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is heaven. To be where Jesus is. To dwell with the one who bled and died and gave his life as an atonement for our sins. And the glory of heaven, that as the children of our heavenly Father, there we live one with another. With all of the other members of the holy family of God gathered out of all the ages of history and as they're scattered throughout all the nations of the world. With no more division, no more separation, whether separated by time or by distance or the sins that tear apart God's people one from another, we will dwell together in perfect communion. This is the glory, the place that Christ is preparing for us. A place in Father's house. That's the first phrase that Jesus uses here to describe heaven. The second is mansions. Again at the beginning of verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansions literally means rooms or resting places. And there's two ideas that are being conveyed there by Jesus. One of the the things that's conveyed by that word mansions is that there's room in Father's house for all of His children, all of His elect chosen people. Not that the idea is that there's room in heaven for all men, but the idea is that the Glories of Father's house is that it's roomy. There's a place for all of God's people. That whole numberless throng of the elect church. And there's a unique place that's prepared for each one of God's people. There's a place in heaven for those whom, according to our earthly judgment, we might think to be the the holiest of saints, like an Apostle Paul. And there's a place in heaven for what we might think to be the lowliest of saints, like the thief on the cross, or you and me. In Father's house, there are many mansions. There's room for all of God's chosen people. The other idea that's conveyed by that phrase, many mansions, is that 
heaven is a resting place. Not that heaven is merely sitting down forever and doing nothing. There will be activity, holy work in heaven to be done. But the whole of life in heaven will be restful. Think from an earthly point of view about how precious rest is to us. Today we've worked a full day at our calling. Some that's working behind a piece of machinery all day in a factory perhaps. Some running around, running their business. Some outside in the heat and doing landscaping or laying bricks. A teacher teaching in school or a mother on her feet in the home all day. We've worked a full day and we come to the end of the day and maybe we sit down and we have a sense of being bone tired or weary. We need rest. Heaven is a resting place. We need that rest because life on this earth tiring. It's wearisome. Leaves us exhausted, not just physically, but spiritually. Life on this earth is tiresome on account of sickness and infirmity, disease, the breakdown of the body, the aches and the pains that we experience. But heaven is rest. In heaven there is no sickness. There's no disease. There's no blemishes. Nothing's broken. There's no deformity. There's no confusion. There's perfection in body. What makes life on this earth wearisome are strains in relationships to others. Being hurt, being sinned against by others, the breaking of relationships that are dear to us, breaking of a relationship between parents and children, between spouses, one from another. That's grievous. But heaven is rest. In heaven, there's no division. There's no separation. There's no schism. In heaven, there's no hate. There's no hurt. There's no hurtful words and hurtful actions. There's no being sinned against. Heaven is rest. What makes life on this earth wearisome is death and loss. God takes loved ones from us in death. But in heaven there is no death. There's no loss. There's no parting forever. There's life with God and life with all of His chosen people forever and ever unending. It's described for us in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What especially makes life on this earth so wearisome is sin. The daily slog, if we may put it that way, of the Christian life of battling against our sins and sinfulness, beset on every side, every day by so many temptations, so many stumblings and fallings, so many failures. Heaven is rest. It's rest from this Weary, sinful world in this body of sin. There's no more sin. There's no more struggling with temptation and and sinful lust. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no more filth and pollution of sin. There's no more hurting and being hurt. Father's house or mansion. Resting places where we rest from all of the weary labor of this earthly life. And for us as Christians, that's home. When we come to the end of our earthly sojourn, whether that's 80 years or it's 8 years, We'll say this life was a sojourn. It was a pilgrimage. And this world was not my home. Too often I lived as if that was the case. So easy because I'm an earthly creature tied to this earth. So comfortable here below. But this earth is not my home. Now I'm in Father's house. With Father forever, with Jesus Christ where He is, with all of the other brothers and sisters in the Holy Family. I'm in the mansion, the place that's prepared uniquely for me. I have rest. I'm home. I'm home. Where I belong. Where I'll enjoy perfect love and peace and security forever and ever. That place is prepared for us by the ascended Jesus Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. At that time, according to Jewish custom, when a man and a woman were going to be married, the future bridegroom would go and make a home and get that home ready with everything that the home needed for them to live in when they're married. And then on the wedding day, the bridegroom would go to the home of the bride, take her and lead her to their home 
where the marriage ceremony would take place. He's preparing a place for his bride where they will be together in their married life. Jesus is the bridegroom. He says to his bride, I go to prepare a place for you. That preparation of which Jesus speaks is first is going to the cross. Jesus is in the upper room with the eleven disciples. In just a few short hours, he will be arrested by Judas and his mob. He'll be brought to stand on trial. And early the next morning, he'll be brought away to be nailed to the cross. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we have no hope of a home in Father's house forever. On account of our sins, we have no right and no claim to dwell forever in Father's house. What we deserve on account of our sins is to be cast away from the Father forever, to be the objects not of His love, but of His crushing, killing wrath. And to spend eternity not in the warmth of love and fellowship with God in heaven, but in the agonies of hell. We have a place in Father's house prepared for us because Jesus Christ suffered and made atonement for us at the cross. He was forsaken. He experienced the awful torments and the agonies of hell as the wrath of the Father for our sins was poured out upon Him. By his death, he's satisfied, he's made atonement, he's paid in full for all of the sins of all of his people. And he's merited for us righteousness and everlasting life. It's on the basis of his cross that we have a certain place in heavenly glory. Having made atonement for our sins and merited for us all the blessings of salvation, including eternal life. Jesus Christ arose victorious from the grave and He ascended up into heaven where now He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And from there, Jesus Christ prepares a place for His church. When Jesus Christ ascended, He ascended as King of kings and Lord of lords. The reward for Christ according to His human nature for His perfect obedience and atoning death was that all things in heaven and earth were placed under Him. He has sovereign rule over all. It's Jesus Christ who executes the eternal decree of God. It's Christ who governs and directs all things In heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ is directing all things. For the glory of God and for the good of his church. He's preparing all things. For his return. For the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. 
where he will live with us forever. There's benefit for us in Jesus Christ ascending up into heaven. He's gone to prepare a place for his church. The work of Jesus Christ in preparing a place for us not only refers to his sovereign rule over all things in heaven and on earth, but there's an element of that in which Jesus Christ is preparing each one of us for our place in glory. And saving us, Jesus Christ does not whisk us away up into heaven at the moment of our regeneration so that we're born again with the life of Christ in us and we're immediately taken out of this world and the sufferings of it up into heaven. The will of God for us is that we yet live in this world. That we're not yet perfect. That we struggle with sin and temptation. And the work of Jesus Christ is His sovereign work in all of our life preparing us for glory. That preparation is necessary From the point of view of Christ, through it, impressing upon us certain important truths. In this life, the Lord Jesus Christ impresses upon us our own sins and sinfulness. We're brought to see more and more, more and more clearly, our sin and depravity and how undeserving we are and how hopeless we are in ourselves. Jesus Christ prepares us for glory by impressing upon us more and more the power of His grace, our wholehearted dependence and need for Jesus Christ, how helpless we are apart from Him. And He prepares us for glory by impressing upon us how rich and glorious is the grace of God to us and how worthy God is of praise, having saved such an undeserving sinner as I am. Christ is preparing us for glory by teaching us all of these lessons all of our life long. My sin and sinfulness, my need for Christ, the glory of God in my salvation. So that from our own life and our own experience, we see the wonder of God's grace to us in Christ. Christ prepares us in this way through the preaching of the gospel. As that shows us our sin, as it points us to Christ, as it leads us to glorify the God of grace. And Christ prepares us through this life and what He ordains in this life, including the afflictions of earthly life. Those afflictions are hard. 
we were to plan out our own life. We wouldn't plan out any affliction. But affliction is for our profit. And it's for our profit in that afflictions lead us more and more to see that our home is in heaven. As earthly creatures, we are so tied to this earth. We live as this earth is our home and we so easily have our hearts set upon the things of this earth. But through affliction, Jesus Christ prepares us for glory. Through affliction, Jesus Christ loosens our grip on this earth and the things of this earth. He more and more directs our gaze upward so that we know heaven is our home. Who would want to live forever and ever in this world of sin with all of the sorrow and the heartache and the trouble that we know in this life? More and more we look for full and complete deliverance. We look forward to being home. There is that purpose of Jesus Christ in all of our sufferings. Every sickness, every sorrow, every trouble that we experience. According to the sovereign will of God serves to prepare us for our place in glory. Father's house There are many mansions, many resting places. Jesus has gone away into heaven to prepare a place for us. And his promise to us, verse 3 is this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. There's a place for us. It's prepared by the ascended Lord Jesus. And his promise to us is, I'm coming and I'll take you to be there with me. The reference is ultimately to Jesus' second coming. Jesus, throughout the whole of the New Testament, is preparing all things for his return. And when he comes again, he'll take all of his chosen people, the whole of the holy family of God, now raised from the dead with glorified bodies and souls, into the new heavens and the new earth where is our home with him forever. But this word of Jesus Christ has referenced not only the end and his second coming, but it has reference also to his coming for each one of us at the moment of death. There is that last, final, public coming of Jesus Christ. There is also the personal coming of Jesus Christ for every one of his saints At the moment of death. At the moment of death, it's not as if our soul, just all on its own, flies away up to heaven. 
the moment of death, Jesus comes. And Jesus takes my soul. And takes my soul up to heaven. At the moment of death, Jesus comes to us and he says, Your pilgrimage is over. Your time here is done. Your work is over. And it's time for you to come home. I've prepared a place for you. And I've come again for you right now to take you to be with me where I am. Jesus' promise is just that. It's a promise. And therefore, absolutely sure and unshakable, He will certainly come for us. At the moment of death and at the end of all things, He is coming again. In this life, we may, like the disciples, be troubled. Jesus speaks of that in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. And the word has reference there to water that's, that's stirred up by, by a storm. By strong waves and a strong wind. Describing the unsettled feeling. The turmoil of heart and soul that we may experience. And often that is our experience in this life. Our life may be so filled with cares and troubles that our heart is troubled. We're unsettled. The word of Jesus Christ to us is, let not your heart be troubled. Be settled. Because this word is sure. Verse 2, if it were not so, I would have told you. His word is absolutely sure. And as we believe in God, as Jesus says in verse 1, so also we believe in Jesus Christ. The day is coming for you and me. Jesus Christ will call us home. The day is coming when He'll call all of His children home. To live with Him forever. When all of the weariness, all of the trouble of earthly life, gone. And we're home. Home at last. Because we're with Him. Can't you wait? Amen. Let's pray. Father who art in heaven, thank Thee for the ascension of Jesus Christ, for His preparing a place for us with Thee in glory.
We look forward eagerly with such hope and longing to be home with Thee, our Father, and to see Thee face to face in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hasten the day of His coming. While we wait, lift our hearts, our minds, our eyes up on high. Deliver us from a sinful attachment to this world. But as we live and as we labor in this world, give us the grace to do so as those whose citizenship is above, where our home awaits us. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray for a blessing upon thy word. Pray for thy care of us in the rest of the week. Assemble us together safely according to thy will on the coming Lord's Day. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. We pray that you were edified by the preaching of the gospel today. Please join us for worship if you are ever in the area. For more information about our church, beliefs, or worship times, please visit our website at prccrete.org.